the kid's been around and some of that crowd. A marshal in this town would have to be mighty fast and prove it every day. Maybe you're right. He studied Shaw surreptitiously. What was it about him that was so disturbing? Not the two guns, for he had seen many men who wore guns. Had been reared among them, in fact. No, it was something else, some quality he could not define, but it was a sort of lurking menace. An odd feeling with such a calm-eyed young man. We've got some good men, Shaw volunteered after a minute. Picked up a couple today. Laredo Shad's going to be one of the best, I'm thinking. He's a tough hand and gun-wise is all get-out. Three more come in today, Fessenden, Poinsett, and Goff. Obviously, from the manner in which he spoke, the names meant much to Shaw, but they meant exactly nothing to Kedrick. Fessenden seemed to strike some sort of a responsive note, but he could not put a finger on it. His eyes strayed down the street, studying the crowd. You think they'll really fight? he asked, studying the crowd. Are there enough of them? That bunch? Shaw's voice was dry. They'll fight all right. You got some tough boys in that outfit. Engine scrappers and such like. They won't scare worth a damn. He glanced curiously at Kedrick. Gunter says you're a fighter. Was that doubt in Shaw's voice? Kedrick smiled, then shrugged. I get along. I was in the army, if that means anything. Been west before? Sure. I was born in California just before the rush. When the war broke out, I was sixteen, but I went in with a bunch from Nevada. Stayed in a couple of years after the war, fighting Apaches. Shaw nodded, as if satisfied. Gunter thinks well of you, but he's only one of them, and not the most important one. A short, thick-set man with a square-cut beard, looking enough like General Grant to be his twin, was pushing through the crowd toward them. He even smoked a thick black cigar. The man walking beside him was as tall as Kedrick, who stood an easy inch above six feet. He had a sharply cut face, and his eyes were cold, but they were the eyes of a man born to command a man who could be utterly ruthless. That would be Colonel Lauren Keith. That meant there was one yet who he must meet, the man Berwick. The three were partners, and of the three only Berwick was from the area. Gunter smiled quickly, his lips parting over clenched white teeth that gripped his cigar. He thrust out his hand. Good to see you, Kedrick. Colonel, this is our man. If there ever was a man born to ramrod this thing through, this is the one. I told you of that drive he made for Patterson. Took those cattle through without losing a head. Rustlers and Comanches be damned. Keith nodded, his cold eyes taking in Kedrick at a glance. Captain, that was an army title, Kedrick? Army, the war between the states. I see. There was a Thomas Kedrick who was a sergeant in the fighting against the Apaches. That was me. All of us went down some in rank after the troops were discharged. How much time in the war? Keith's eyes still studied him. Four years and two campaigning in the southwest? Not bad. You should know what to expect in a fight. His eyes went to Kedrick's, faintly supercilious. I have twelve years myself, regular army. Kedrick found that Keith's attitude irritated him. He had meant to say something about it, but suddenly he was speaking. My American Army experience, Colonel, was only part of mine. 
I was with Bazin at the defense of Metz in the Franco-Prussian War. I escaped and was with McMahon at the Battle of Sedan. Keith's eyes sharpened and his lips thinned. Kedrick could feel the sharp dislike rising in the man. Keith was defiantly possessed of a strong superiority complex. Is that all? he asked coolly. Why, no. Since you ask, it was not. I was with Wolseley in the Second Ashanti War in Africa, and I was in the two-year campaign against the Tungans of Northern Tian Shan, with the rank of general. You seem to get around a good bit, Keith said dryly. A genuine mercenary. Kendrick smiled, undisturbed. If you like. That's what you want here, isn't it? Men who can fight? Isn't it customary for some men to hire others to do their fighting for them? Colonel Keith's face flamed, then went white. But before he could speak, a big square-faced man thrust himself through the crowd and stopped to face them. You is it, Gunter? Well, I've heard tell the reason why you're here. And if you expect to take from hard-working men the land they've slaved for, you better come a-shootin'. Before anyone could speak, Dorney slid between Keith and Gunter and fronted the man. You looking for trouble? You want to start your shooting now? His voice was low, almost a purr, but Kendrick was startled by the shocked expression on the man's face. He drew back, holding his hands wide. I wasn't bracing you, Dorney. Didn't even know you was around. Then get out, Shaw snarled, passion suddenly breaking through his calmness, and something else. Something Kedrick spotted with a shock. The driving urge to kill. Get out, Shaw repeated. And if you want to live, keep going. Stumblingly, the man turned and ducked into the hastily assembled crowd. And Tom Kedrick, scanning their faces, found hard indifference there, or hatred. In no face did he see warmth or friendly feeling. He frowned thoughtfully, then turned away. Gunter caught his arm, eager to take advantage of the break the interruption had made to bring peace between the two. You see what you're up against? he began. Now that was Peters. He's harmless, but there's others would have drawn and drawn fast. They won't be all like that. Let's go meet Berwick. Kedrick fell in beside Gunter, who carefully interposed himself between the two men. Once, Tom glanced back. What had become of Dorney Shaw he did not know, but he did know his second-in-command, which job was Shaw's, was a killer. He knew the type from of old. Yet he was disturbed more than he cared to admit by the man who had braced them. Peters had the look of an honest man, even if not an intelligent one. Of course, there might be honest men among them, if they were men of Peters's stripe. He was always a follower, and he might follow where the wrong men led. Certainly, if this land was going to Gunter, Keith, and Berwick through a government bill, there could be nothing wrong with it. If the government sold the land to them, squatters had no rights there. Still, if there were many like Peters, the job was not going to be all he had expected. Gunter stopped before a square stone house set back from the street. This here's headquarters, he said. We hole up here when in town. Come on in. A wide veranda skirted the house and as they stepped upon it, they saw a girl in a gray skirt and white blouse sitting a few feet away with an open book in her lap. Gunter halted. Colonel, you've met Miss Duane. Captain Kedrick, my niece, Consuelo Duane. Their eyes met and held. 
For a breathless moment, no voice was lifted. Tom Kedrick felt as though his muscles had gone dead, for he could not move. Her own eyes were wide, startled. Kedrick recovered himself with a start. He bowed. Miss Duane? Captain Kedrick. Somehow she was on her feet and moving toward him. I hope you'll like it here. His eyes had not left hers, and now color was coming into her cheeks. I shall, he said gently. Nothing can prevent me now. Don't be too sure of that, Captain. Keith's voice was sharp and cold. We are late for our visit. Let's be going. Your pardon, Connie, Berwick is waiting. Kendrick glanced back as he went through the door, and the girl was still standing there, poised, motionless. Keith's irritation was obvious, but Gunter seemed to have noticed nothing. Dorney Shaw, who had materialized from somewhere, glanced briefly at Kedrick, but said nothing at all.